This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Today is July 30th. I'm John Dunn, and America is in an economic crisis. This is the Best Friends Podcast, and for this episode, we're going to focus on housing, what the next few months may look like for the millions of pet owners across the country that are likely to lose their homes as evictions rise to levels that have never been seen. We'll talk about what we can do about it to not only make sure our shelters aren't overwhelmed with surrendered pets, but we'll try to figure out how we might work proactively to keep pets with their families. So what can um, animal welfare organizations be doing now to reach out to homeless shelters so that they're prepared when they have people coming to them with pets? We know it's going to be messy. We just don't know what it, exactly it's going to look like. We'll hear more from Abby later. Now, the website, it is the place for you to get all the resources we talk about in each episode. And this week, for example, you'll hear about an organization in Arizona. They support pet owners in times of need. They've shared their resources, such as the waiver they use with pet parents who they work with. You can access those things and more, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Again, you'll see the list of episodes. Click on episode 24, bestfriends.org slash podcast. In 2016, we'll call that a quote-unquote normal year in the United States, 2.3 million Americans lived in a home that was given an eviction notice. In 2008, during the foreclosure crisis, 10 million Americans lost their homes. This year, by year's end, estimates put the number of Americans that could be evicted at 28 million. Princeton University professor Matthew Desmond is one of the co-founders of the Eviction Lab, it's the first ever database tracking evictions in the United States. He spoke with NPR's Morning Edition last week. Before the pandemic, the majority of renters below the poverty line were already spending half of their income on housing costs or more, and one in four of those families were spending over 70% of their income just on rent and utilities. You know, when you're spending 70, 80% of your income on rent and, and the lights, you don't need to have a big emergency wash over your life to get evicted. Something very small can do it. The federal government's coronavirus relief bill passed back in March instituted a moratorium on evictions for four months. But it expires tomorrow, July 31st. And your guess is as good as mine as to what Congress will or won't do next. It looks very scary for renters. Now, remember the stimulus checks came. They were about $1,200. Median rent in this country right now is $1,002. So if you're just a typical renter, that stimulus check isn't going very far. Milwaukee and Cleveland, evictions have been hovering around 40% higher than they usually are this time in a typical year. That's pretty scary. And the numbers are just staggering. A new report out this week, the estimate of the amount of back rent owed, get this, $21.5 billion. When you read the paper or listen to NPR and there's a story about the housing crisis, often that story is about New York or Seattle or San Francisco. And those are really expensive cities. But when you peel back the data and you look at the eviction numbers, you see another kind of housing crisis. You see a crisis that's most acute in places like Tulsa, Oklahoma, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Richmond, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia sees one in nine renter homes evicted every single year. So this isn't a big city problem. This isn't just an expensive city problem. This is really a national problem. 
And this is an issue that disproportionately affects low-income communities of color. For example, African-American renters are evicted at twice the rate of white Americans. So how will this affect pets and pet owners? I asked our data team to do a quick look based on what we know from our pet ownership data, a very rough estimate and probably pretty low is more than 40 million pets are living with people who may be in real danger of losing their homes in the next few months. So let's go from here and try to answer the question. Who's to blame for the economic situation in the United States? No, we're not going to do that. Because for us, in the context of the work, it doesn't matter. We can argue about who's to blame, or we can start to investigate. Why is someone being evicted? If someone's being evicted, why should they have a pet? But the bottom line is this. Evictions happen to lots of people for lots of reasons. And in my research for the episode, I was surprised to learn how many of them are, these aren't people on the lowest end of the income scale. They're people that just had some bad luck. And at this moment in history, there's plenty of that to go around. There are so many people that are just one paycheck away from being homeless. One paycheck away. That's Jody Polanski. And that one paycheck they missed set them into this downward spiral to the point that they lost their home. In 2008, Jody was a mortgage loan officer in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was also doing pet rescue at the time, and I kept seeing kind of firsthand all the pets that were being abandoned in foreclosed homes. Um, in 2008, that was back when Phoenix was number two in euthanasias for the country and also number two in foreclosures for the country. After seeing the animals affected by the housing crisis, she made the decision to create Lost Our Home Pet Rescue. And when I did that, at the same time, I realized there was not really any resources out there for pet parents that needed some help to keep their pets. So um, once I opened the rescue up, I realized that we can provide some resources for the pet parents. A lot of the pets that are going into shelters or being abandoned didn't have to be. The organization doesn't work like you may think. Yes, they help pets who have been affected by evictions and foreclosures, but the primary goal isn't to save them by rehoming them. They want to keep families together. And so when it comes to you know, foreclosure eviction, a lot of times people may be looking for resources because they know it's going to happen and things fall out last minute or they just can't find anything and they don't want to lose their pet. They love their pet. Their pet is their child, you know, or children, plural. They're really trying to better their life and they just need a little helping hand. That helping hand comes in the form of what they call their temporary care program. And that program came from people who were being evicted or losing their home to foreclosure and they could not find a place to rent right away that allowed their pets. So they're like, okay, I can move in with my family or my friend, but I can't bring my dogs with me or I can't bring my cats with me because either their land that weren't allowed or they got pets there that, that won't get along or the people I'm moving in with weren't allowed, whatever the reason is, right? And they don't want to lose their pets. Like, can you watch my pet for me for 90 days while I'm staying at my family or friend's house for those few months so I can get back on my feet again and get into a pet-friendly housing. And this program, by the way, it's not only for housing issues. Hospitalizations, inpatient treatment. So PTSD treatments will take 60 days. Right now we're doing some work where we're helping COVID patients who are in the hospital. We do a lot with domestic violence and, um, and then homeless shelters. Lost Our Home Pet Rescue, they do have a facility that makes this kind of program easier, but you don't need to have a facility to make this work. Our shelter, we're keeping not very full because of the amount of people you need the shelter to be able to care for the pets. And for COVID-19 reasons and, and social distancing, we just can't have a full shelter and have it safe for people and pets both. So we're using a lot of foster homes. Absolutely, foster homes are a big part of making this work, but Jody pointed out another really smart idea. We've connected with boarding facilities. Right now, they're at a loss for business because people are not traveling. So the boarding facilities are going to give you a much better deal on boarding your pets right now. And so every rescue, if, if they can... 
you know, they can just temporarily board the pet, whether it be a foster home or a boarding facility or, or in their shelter to help people out, just get through this. It will keep them from people from losing their pet and, and the amount of, you know, it's intake diversion, right? It's, I mean, they don't go into shelter permanently. For me, it's about keeping pets and families together. It's that bond between them and any rescue can do this. I asked her what they've been seeing in Arizona. Are more and more people needing help because of the economy? She said that so far, housing-related requests are low, but that's very likely due to the moratoriums on evictions that have been in place. The evictions ones are the ones that I'm, I don't want to say most worried about, but that's going to be the big flood. Like, that's where I'm, like, we're trying to brace ourselves for that because we already have more than we can handle right now. And we know that once that moratorium is gone um, and as people start realizing they got to pay this back and they can't, there is going to be a floodgate that's going to open up. You know, I don't know if it's going to be worse in 2008 or not. I, I just don't know. But I know that there's a big, way bigger need than there's help out there around the entire country. At this point, you may have the same question I did. Why aren't more organizations doing this kind of work? There are some issues in the cost of caring for the pet, the length of time you're caring for the pet and finding a way to do that, which is a cost, right? <laughs> and then also the liability of having an own animal in your care. But there's a way to get around all of that. And it's just you know, and I, I'm happy to help anybody that wants to start the program up. I mean, that's my one of my bigger picture dreams is to get this program around the whole country. No better time than now to put resources where people and pets need it the most. We've come so far, and I think about the setback, you know, that this is going to be. It doesn't have to be as big as it could be if we all work together and provide the kind of services that our cities need. Anybody could do this. We started off doing this as a all-volunteer foster-based rescue, and we did this. <laughs> and even on a small scale to start, just start. Just, just do it. If you help one pet, if you help three families, you've helped that many more people keep their families together. And the outcome of it, like the, the way you feel when you see the pet parents and pets being reunited again, I mean, it's for as great as you think an adoption feels, reuniting a pet and pet parent, they work so hard to stay together. It's an unbelievable feeling that you've helped keep this family together and keep this pet out of the shelter, you know, permanently. So it's it's so worth it. Jody Polanski of Lost Our Home Pet Rescue in Phoenix, Arizona. She's graciously offered to help anyone who's looking to do this kind of work with resources and information. We've got all the details on our website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. And so it's not just about taking pets and dumping them out. That's just that's just one piece of the puzzle. We'll never be no kill with only trying to do adoption or only spay neuter and adoption. You've got to keep those pets with the families that love them. Now, another part of this that was nagging at me as we work through this episode is about how we actually help. And by that, I mean, let me use a silly example. Let's say I run John Dunn's Siamese Cat Rescue. Not a bad idea, actually. But I decide that I want to step up and help. I want to shift my organization's focus to where both me and my resources are needed the most. Who do I call? Where do I go? Other agencies I should be coordinating with beyond the shelter? Like, how does any of this work? And what about all of us? What can we do, whether we're running a Siamese cat rescue or not? Are there things individuals can do right now? I could write everything I know about the world of housing onto one post-it note, so I reached out to an expert. My name is Abby Volan. I am president of Opening Doors, and we are a consulting and legal firm that helps housing providers and tenants and animal welfare organizations with their pet-related housing problems. Abby walked me through this stuff. She's an attorney. Before she founded Opening Doors, she was at the Humane Society of the United States working on housing policy issues. There is no magic solution to this pet and housing crisis or problem. There are certainly tools that we can use to push the issue forward, but there isn't a quick fix by, by any means. One thing that is confusing is the law. 
I mentioned earlier, there was that federal relief bill. It got passed back in March, and it offered that four-month moratorium on evictions. Now, as of the publishing of this episode, that moratorium is expiring soon, and there's no agreement from Congress about what should happen next. But either way, it's important to note this is not a rent relief program. It's more of a rent delay, so it prevents an eviction, but you're still obligated to pay all of the rent, the months that have been stacking up. But if you couldn't afford to pay in May because you lost your job and your unemployment never came through, chances are slim that you can pay it now. And it's pretty hard to create a plan with a problem when there's very little clarity on the problem itself. So we know people are going to be evicted, but when? We're seeing the patchwork job that's being done here because some states never had a moratorium to begin with. Other states had a moratorium, but it's already expired except a city still has a moratorium. So if you live in a certain city, you're still protected, but not if you live in the rest of the state. We know it's a mess. The courts are going to be clogged. People aren't going to know what to do. It's just going to be chaos. And so at least for the states that have have the, the extensions, at the very least, that does buy us something that is a very uh, important commodity, and that is time. That can be a big difference maker. That time offers the opportunity for us to line up resources, getting everyone together. So the safety net is as wide as it can be. It gives us time to make preparations. It makes us time to reach out and make connections with legal aid and um, landlord tenant experts and fair housing experts and homeless shelters and, you know, all different sorts of advocates so that we can all, you know, let's see what we all have when we pull all our resources together um, and, and prepare for what we know is going to be a lot of people being evicted. And for everyone, particularly those of us who are not in a position to provide direct assistance to families who need it, you have a very important role to play. You can help buy more time. If your state has not extended it, you need to get organized and start writing your representatives and start calling your governor's office and organize and put some pressure on your states to make those changes and extend those moratoriums. A reminder that we're talking about more than 40 million pets facing eviction. These days, even the word politics distracts, but helping pets and the people who love them is not partisan. Okay, so how do we get this going? Remember my Siamese cat rescue? Well, we had a board meeting and they're fully in support of shifting our focus. So what next? I firmly believe that you cannot solve a problem until you define it. And so right now, as we're working through, and we've seen this now for a few months, and so we're seeing what's going on, we know what's coming. And if, even if we don't quite know what it's going to look like, we know what's coming. So let's start figuring out what those situations are going to look like. Let's get the data. Let's see what's starting to happen in our community. And then let's find solutions that are tailored to what the data says, because every community is going to be different when it comes to uh, COVID and housing. Abby recommends finding the people who know this world. Find other nonprofits that focus on housing issues. Reach out to local social service agencies. You know, here in D.C., we have um, the Office of the Tenant Advocate, which I love. It's an independent government agency, and they are just there to advocate for tenants. And so they are a wonderful source of information, and, and they are connected to other government agencies and other nonprofits and other social workers. Know what's in your community. Know, know where the problems are. Know where the hotspots are. And that's where you should focus your energy at first. If it's a problem of there, you know, in San Diego, I'm hearing it's a problem of so many homeless people on the streets with pets. Okay, well, if that's one of your main problems, then 
figure out who the uh, main players are in your community when it comes to homeless advocacy and just start reaching out and making those contacts and offer up your services. I can't possibly overstate the amount of concern that exists around this. One expert this week described the chain of events that will follow from so much rent going unpaid for so long, evictions will go up, then the foreclosures of the properties, and then bankruptcies. It will eviscerate property tax revenues for local municipalities. Now my knowledge of housing issues can fit onto two post-it notes. I mean, I say that in jest, obviously, but I also mean it. I mean, this is a very complex issue. We didn't even talk about housing policies for pets, breed discriminatory policies. All of these things are important and will play a role in the weeks and months and, yes, years to come. So this will not be the last time we talk about this issue. And just as with Lost Our Home Pet Rescue in Phoenix, there are some amazing organizations around the country doing this work. And we'll be sharing their stories as we move forward. This podcast has always been about sharing ideas and inspiration. And as we head into the future, one that no one can truly predict, it will take all of us. If you are with an organization who works on these issues, maybe your shelter is doing some great intake diversion work, or maybe you're on the housing side and your organization helps the entire family, including the pets, we'd love to hear more about your work. Easiest way is to send us an email, podcast at bestfriends.org. That's podcast at bestfriends.org. The producers, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, and Mark Peralta. I'm John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.